Welcome to Someday is Here, a podcast for Asian American women on leadership and culture. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. This podcast has been created to carve out a space for Asian American women to explore and validate living in both Eastern and Western worlds. Each week, we will celebrate our heritage and highlight Asian American history. My guests and I will explore our various Asian American journeys, both the parts that we are proud of and the parts that have brought pain. We'll discuss practical tips on leadership and our favorite comfort foods, of course. This is a place and a space to bring words and understanding to our shared experience living biculturally. I am so glad you're listening and look forward to your feedback. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. This is Vivian Mabuni, your host for the Someday Is Here podcast, and we are in season two, and I am so excited to share with you today uh, our, our next guest. Tracy G is a leadership development coach and trainer, and she is passionate about working with mission-driven leaders, teams, and organizations. And with over 20 years of leadership experience, she um, has worked in leadership roles with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. She's a Gallup Certified Strengths Finder coach and a consultant, and she is so knowledgeable. I really enjoy her Instagram page. She thinks of very clever ways and helpful ways to bring the strengths finders to life. She is also a published author of a book for Asian American women called More Than Serving Tea, and we will link up the this book, to, uh, which Kathy Kong and Nikki Toyamazito were also guests on season one, they were also contributors to this book. So More Than Serving Tea is one of the the must-reads for Asian American women and for those who would like to understand Asian American women and their expectations, relationships, leadership, and faith. So Tracy is originally from the Bay Area of California and now lives here in Southern California. She lives in Los Angeles with her husband, her two boys, and their rescue, rescue dog, Kona. Enjoy today's show. I'm so excited that you're here. This week's Did You Know is one that Tracy made mention of in our interview where she referred and referenced to the murder of Vincent Chin. This is the backstory of that is that Vincent Chin was a Chinese American draftsman. He was beaten to death by two white men who were uh, part of the auto, they were laid off workers in the auto working area in Michigan. So back in 1982, what had happened was that Japan's auto industry was taking off and was very successful. And as a result, it affected uh, the car and automobile industry here in the United States. So um, the two men uh, were um, seen giving racial slurs, and Vincent Chin was out at his bachelor party, and these two men literally took a baseball bat and beat him to death, and he was, um, yeah, it was just told that there was, there was no, it just was a horrific hate crime. And what ended up happening was that the two men were charged with second-degree murder, and then 
it, their charges were brought down to a manslaughter that they pleaded guilty for in 1983, and they were ordered to pay $3,000 and serve three years probation with no jail time. So um, this was one of these, this lenient sentence was what kind of moved Asian Americans to begin to speak out and to talk about what um, hate crimes uh, racial profiling and all of that. It was just a critical turning point for Asian American civil rights. And so Vincent Chin, um, the, people don't know his story very often, but we want to be about helping um, Asian American history be known. So this is one of the stories I would encourage you to look into. There's been um, articles written about him and his story and just the legal background, the, the, the civil suits, and just what has come about. There have been documentaries that have been made on who killed Vincent Chin, um, and that was nominated back in 1989 for an Academy, Academy Award for Best Documentary. So there's just a, um, a lot to be learned about history and how it informs us and how, if the tables were turned, um, I really don't think the sentencing would have been the way that it was. And so um, that's part of knowing um, our history and then in that way being more grounded in understanding who we are and what the things that have transpired and taken place that we need to be mindful of and um, begin to speak out over. So that's this week's Did You Know? Welcome to season two of Some Days Here. It's just so thrilling to see how um, all of these wonderful relationships are crisscrossing. And I'm so excited about today's conversation and having uh, the opportunity to introduce to you Tracy G. She is a leadership development coach and she is a trainer. And she's had over 20 years of uh, leadership experience as a director in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And she's also a certified strengths finder coach and consultant. We'll talk about that today too. But Tracy, um, how did, I'm trying to think, we first connected back in 2012. Is that right? That sounds right. You were speaking at a retreat that I was at. I think that was the first time we got to cross paths. Yeah. So we, I've just been cheering Tracy on all of these years since then. And it's just been so fun to see how her path is leading her into even more specialized coaching and leadership. So I can't wait to hear about. Before we do all that, though, I would love for you to share with our listeners just a little bit of your your ethnic journey and um, yeah, some of just who you are. So please take it away, Tracy. Awesome. Thank you, Vivian. It's so great being with you. Congrats on the podcast and season two. That's wonderful. Um, and yeah, my ethnic journey, I, it's something I've thought a lot about. I'm second generation Chinese American. So my parents mm -hmm. uh, were born in Southern China in Fujian, and then they went to Taiwan around the time of the Cultural Revolution. Um, and then my dad came to the States to do grad school. That was sort of what brought them here. Um, so I was born and raised in the Bay Area of California, which is its own interesting subpart of the Asian American experience. I was laughing because I think they referenced Cupertino 
in Crazy Rich Asians. Mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the character yes. is from I was like, oh, shout out to my hometown. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So I went to Monta Vista High School, which I think currently I looked it up. It's like 79% Asian. Really? Um, it wasn't that high when I was in school, but it was we were definitely majority. So it was this interesting experience where where I lived really influenced my ethnic journey because I was used to being in a majority. I was used to seeing a lot of Asian faces mm. and all my friends were Asian. So my my local like lived experience, I felt very comfortable being Asian. Mm-hmm. But then obviously there was a disconnect when I would look at movies and, and TV and magazines, like, okay, I don't see representation there. I get that mm-hmm. my experience is different than that. But day to day, I felt very comfortable um, being Chinese American. That was yeah. the norm. Now, did you did you speak Chinglish, kind of half Chinese, half English? Or how, how was that growing up for you? Exactly. Yeah. So I grew up speaking um, some Chinese at home. I'm pretty limited. I can mm-hmm. do like day-to-day stuff. Yeah. I can kind of yeah. get by. I can order okay. food. Yeah. <laughs> so. Totally. Yes. <laughs> I'm kind of like that. Like if I watch um, a newscast, it's just so way over my head because... Mm the terminology, but I can kind of follow along with a soap opera, you know, and kind of track with the drama. Or even when I'm watching um, like uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I know that the the subtitles didn't quite capture what was being said. So I can kind of critique just a little bit, but not, you know, so yes, I I can relate to that too. Yes. Enough to get by. Yes. I remember um, in like fifth grade, my parents took me on a trip to Taiwan to visit our family. And I remember thinking like, oh, okay, this will be interesting. Like I'll like fully fit in mm. when I go visit, you know, and I had this experience where I went out shopping one afternoon with my family and I was literally wearing clothes that I think my grandma had bought me in mm-hmm. Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And we go into this shop and before I even opened my mouth to say anything, the saleswoman said to my mom, Oh, where's she from? Like really? she could tell by looking at me. Yeah. I hadn't even spoken that mm. I wasn't from Taiwan. I wasn't yeah. from Asia. Like she could pick up on that. And I, my jaw was on the floor. I was like, mom, like how could she tell? It's not like right. I spoke and gave it yeah. away. She's like, you can just tell. She just knew. And it was such an odd experience for me. Mm-hmm. And I do remember feeling a little bit like, Wow. I don't fully fit in in California at home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's like a little bit of a disconnect. I don't fully fit in here either. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though I thought maybe I would. And so it was this really kind of puzzling experience. I didn't quite know what to make sense, like how to make sense of that. So now as an adult looking back on that experience, what do you, do you have any theories on what could have given you away? <laughs> um, you know, I think it's like, Maybe the way I, my hair was, maybe the way I carried myself. I, mm-hmm. I, who knows? I really yeah. don't have a lot of yeah. theories. I'm not sure. Yeah, but she definitely like right away like picked up Could on tell. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it is interesting because I think that when we are growing up in biculturally with Eastern and Western values, I do think that there, the way we carry ourselves actually does look a little differently. You know, like we... Um, Woven into our collective is also a value of individuality. And, you know, there's a sense of, you know, we are um, proud to be American or there's like this 
nationalistic kind of um, we're the best kind of, I think that gets woven into sometimes for better or for worse, but you know, can get woven into. So I just wonder, I remember my neighbor um, commenting on how I walked. Like she goes, she just walks very confidently or something, which was really weird. You know, I'm like, I, I never noticed that, but I don't know. So I don't know. It's like, if it's a, a vibe that happens or what, but I've had the same thing happen to um, being overseas. So, yeah, but it's, it, you know, can I think create a little bit of a crisis? Like, mm. where do I really belong? Like, where do I really fully fit in? It's like, not quite here, not quite there. You know, it's, it's definitely like, was a weird feeling to try to make sense of. Mm, yeah. So did you, were you, did you have like, an, like, obviously you had majority, you know, Asian friends. So were you able to process that kind of stuff with them? Or was that just something that you kind of internalized and tried to figure out for yourself? Like, was that something that you remember talking about or? Not really. I wouldn't say I would, I think it wasn't until about college that I started to become more aware. Mm. As a college student, I started to take some Asian American studies classes, Mm -hmm. started to learn a little bit more about Asian American history you know, things like the Chinese Exclusion Act or Vincent Chin or, you know, mm. some stuff around the real, like that's all stuff that I don't, I did not talk about with my friends in high school at all, you yeah, know? Yeah. But even that, you know, that idea of like feeling like a perpetual foreigner, you know, mm. started to put language mm-hmm. um, and sort of place my little experience within this wider story and history. So that was, I think, really helpful and probably the main place I started to process that more. And then as I interacted with other people of different backgrounds, you know, white folks, other people of color, I think that also helped me reflect back on my experience and helped me mm. understand that and process that a little bit. Yeah, that is so well put. And so, um, yeah, I I can see exactly how the, there's something about our, our development, you know, children to adult, and then being able to um, process more information and kind of put things in their places which kind of helps to ground us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that is, that's excellent. Well, tell me like growing up then, did you experience, or even as an adult, have you experienced um, parts of being an Asian American that have been painful? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely been, um, even though I, I would say, you know, Cupertino was, had a lot of Asian um, folks around in the community it, that certainly isn't a guarantee to not experience um, racism or aggressions, microaggressions. You know, I definitely got mm. the like, oh, you did well on that test. Well, yeah, of course you did because you're Asian. You know, like, mm-hmm. wait, no, no, I worked. You know, I studied mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing. I definitely um, had the experience of being told to go back where I came from mm-hmm. um, by other kids. You know, things like that. So I think definitely there were de- there were those moments of pain. Um, mm-hmm. Where, yeah, I think um, I, I remember the one um, experience clearly where my sister was playing with one of her friends at her house, and she came. My sister came home crying to me. She was five years younger than me. I think mm. I was maybe ten years old, and she came home crying. And she said her friend's brother was bullying them and picking on them, and mm. even like spit on them, kind of a thing. Oh wow! And my sister and I fought a lot growing up, but I was like, this is not okay. You know, like mm-hmm. I grabbed her hand and I went back over there and I was like, you cannot do that to them. Like they are way younger than you. This is not okay. I was basically, 
you know, giving him a piece of my mind. And without like thinking about it, he just went, why didn't you go back to where you came from? You know, this is like another like nine, 10 year old just, Mm. that just came out of, and I was so shocked, you know, to hear those words. And I was like, I was born here before you were even around. You know, it just was like, yeah, yeah, was so angry. But yeah, those things definitely also happened. I wouldn't say it was like a day to, a daily experience, but you know, there were there were those moments. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think it's um, you know, I I've yet to meet someone who hasn't you know walked in something similar. Mm-hmm. Well, that's actually a great segue. And growing up, or even in recent times. Have there been, um, what are some things that you're proud of as an Asian American, as a Chinese American woman? Mm. Good question. I don't know. It's a hard question to answer because I think I feel proud of all of who I am. I think that's something that um, I definitely, I I know that's not always like reflected, but I feel like internally, I my parents and my family gave me a sense of like this is this is a good thing. Like mm. this is this is maybe not always seen. Maybe people don't always understand it, but this is a good thing. I think one um, you know one thing stands out to me. I remember going out to breakfast with my my family, and we're as we were walking into the restaurant. Um, we noticed there was an um, elderly woman standing there looking kind of confused, like mm-hmm. sort of in the middle of the doorway, sort of blocking mm-hmm. the doorway. And, um, you know, I was a teenager at the time. I didn't quite know what to do with it. And I wasn't rude to her, but I was just kind of like step, went around her to try to avoid her path, you know, because I wasn't mm-hmm. quite sure like what she doing. And I remember my dad going out of his way to help her mm-hmm. and make sure, you know, she got a place to sit down and then came back to us and was like, kids, you need to look out for older people. Wow. You need to notice them and you need to help them when you can. And mm-hmm. I remember in that moment feeling, um, you know, chastened in a good way mm-hmm. though. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, he, oh, that's right. And I just think that value for wisdom, that mm-hmm. value for the generation older than us, that is something that I think is missing. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I always feel a moment of pride when I see... Um, Asian folks out with with their you know senior citizen family members because mm-hmm. you don't yeah. see that a lot elsewhere right. you don't see that's that right. as much in particularly in white culture I think that's true of other cultures but um, but yeah I think there's that that respect for mm-hmm. the older generation that I think is I'm proud of that I'm proud of the emphasis on that on belonging and family and just um, valuing and honoring people even if they don't have like um the things that are marked as like productive or successful mm. or worthy, you know, in, mm. in a wider society. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I, I was thinking about, um, I think it was Sandra Oh when she won her Emmy award, she's like, you know, and she bowed to her parents yes. is part of her acceptance speech. And I just lost it. And I just, totally. you know, that's a total, but what an example, you know, and I, you know, Aquafina with her shout out to her grandma for her yeah. opening SNL monologue. I mean, all of those things I think are reflecting what exactly what you're describing, you know? So, yeah. yeah. And I really feel like we really miss out when we don't have that holistic mm-hmm. view that we bring in as Asian Americans into the values and um, customs and way of life. So, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah that's so great. Mm-hmm. Well, let me hear a little bit about how you got involved with Strength Finders and how you, how this passion began and even what you're doing. And for the, the listeners, um, we will be connecting in the show notes um, how you can connect with Tracy and specifically her coaching um, work with Strength Finders. So anyway, go for it. I would love to hear everything. Yeah. I mean, I think I have always been fascinated by leadership, Mm -hmm. um, particularly that intersection between how somebody is uniquely made Mm -hmm. and designed and what their unique passions are and how that intersects with their journey as a leader and their ability to impact the world in some way. Mm. This is so fascinating to me how those things come together. So that's mm-hmm. always been interesting to me. I um, decided to pursue training in StrengthsFinder. It was really off of this like gut feeling. Like, I think there's something here for me. Mm. Um, and it was like an intuitive sense. Like, I think this is a tool that will help me somehow. I didn't quite know at the time. But as I got into it, I realized, I think it's it's that. It's, it's pointing... Uh, towards a tool that helps describe that a little bit more, Mm. how people are unique Mm -hmm. and how they do their best work and what are they passionate about, uh, what they feel called to and helping give just a different mirror and a reflection back about what that looks like. Because Mm -hmm. strangely, I think it's hard to know what you're good at sometimes. Mm. Yeah. Um, It's, it's can be a little bit confusing to know how to say that, to know mm-hmm. how to identify it and lean into that. I think that we're naturally, as leaders, sometimes um, uh, you know, tempted to fall into comparison. Sure. You know, to look at other people and like, oh wow, that's such a great leader. I don't fit, I'm not like that. I'm mm-hmm. not, I couldn't do mm-hmm. that, or that's not me, that's not um that that's so different than who I am. And then to feel bad about ourselves, mm-hmm, right? So there's mm-hmm. definitely the temptation to comparison. I think there's also a more innocuous one, but also not great for our development is to fall into the temptation of just imitation too. Like, right. oh, I see that leader. Mm-hmm. I should just do it exactly like they do it. You know, yeah. I should imitate that. And I also mm. don't think that's the most um, beneficial way to approach our development. So I just think, you know, I've noticed like, um, I love helping people discover how they're unique, mm-hmm. what is authentically their leadership style, mm-hmm. what is their authentic leadership presence, um, why they love to do what they do and how they do their best work. Yeah. And that's, you know, the Strengths Finder tool, it, you know, gets used in lots of different ways. So it gets used a lot in corporate America, it gets used mm-hmm. a lot in schools. Um, but I love it because I I like applying it to leadership yes, and to helping leaders, particularly women, gain um, language for what they do best and how That's they do so their best great. work and how they find joy and what it looks like for them to lead as their authentic self. So one of my favorite stats with it, you know, if you've done the Strengths Finder thing. So for those that don't know, it's just like a, an online assessment that you take, and then it gives you back either your top five strengths or your top strengths. And it's mm-hmm. basically describing how you do your best work. But your top five are so unique that there's a one in 33 million chance that you'll have the same order and combination of strengths as someone else. Wow. Like it just, it will never happen. And I love that because I mm. think it really helps people take in and appreciate 
how they're uniquely made. Like, and you don't have to imitate someone else right. to be a great leader. Yes. And you don't have to feel bad about yourself in comparison because you see someone who's great. Usually it's like, I love it because it helps people know it's not about, you know, one form of leadership that's valuable right. or effective or valid. Mm-hmm. There's tons of different ways to do it. And it's a matter of knowing what you have and right. knowing how to use it and how to be thoughtful about that and develop it and invest in that. And you see that really grow and help people really thrive in their leadership. I love that. And I, I've read the book before. And I think what really stu- struck me was that we often um, approach our development as how to, to help our, how to grow in our weaknesses. Yeah. And there's the sense that, you know what, I, I needed as a leader to come to a point to realize, you know what, it, it, it's just not the best use of my time to try to get me to, to do the numbers. Like I'm not a numbers <laughs> person. And so, you know, and it takes me 18 times longer than someone who is really gifted and has strengths in those areas. Yeah. And I think that that's like it, the, the, the focus often in our development is how to become, you know, how to strengthen our weaknesses rather than focus on our strength and, and you know, leverage them so yeah. that we actually do do our best. So that's actually freed me up as a leader to realize, you know what, I am not good at those kind of details, mm-hmm. but I can bring these other parts. And for me, it's been needing to shift from um, having to understand that other people even enjoy doing different things and it brings them life. So for some mm-hmm. people, public speaking is like the worst thing that you could ever ask anyone to do. Mm-hmm. And that same kind of dread is how I feel towards balancing a ledger. <laughs> you know, it's like, but so when I think about asking someone to help me balance the ledger, I just, I go with such intrepidation because it's just like the worst thing ever. Instead of seeing that that actually could be, be a really life-giving thing to someone who really has strengths in that. So it's helpful, I think, in, in several ways as far as personally as well as seeing others. So absolutely. I think that mindset of weakness fi- fixing is so prevalent. Mm-hmm. You know, like, okay, you have all A's and you have one C. Let's really focus on that C and get that up, you know, versus mm-hmm. like what is it, what are you doing right? What do you love about those classes yeah. that you're doing well in? That's just not the way we're taught to think. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's like a little cartoon that I always show in my trainings that has like you know, a dog and a fish and a bird. And it's like, okay, let's, you know, to like test your intelligence, let's climb the tree, you know, and, and you're like, wait, but there's, these are just different things. Like we mm-hmm. aren't all good at the same thing. So mm. let's lean into what's wonderful about us and learn how to use that rather mm-hmm. than being like, I'm a fish who needs to figure out how to climb this tree. (laughs) Right, right. Totally. Oh, that's so good. That is so good. So that would be a great segue in terms of like a leadership. What are some of your leadership principles that you live your life by? I think that is a primary one. I really am a big believer in uh, leaning into what's authentically true about you and what's... Mm. um, unique and strong about you versus getting caught up in comparison or imitation for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I think another thing is just um, learning how to distinguish kind of like you were saying, like what's, what's a weakness? What's something I just need to 
I mean, you can't completely get away from numbers, right? We're all adults, right? I I also don't love numbers, but I'm like, okay, I got to pay my taxes, you know, um, (laughs) that kind of thing. So what are the things that you can try to minimize in that? I think another important um, leadership distinction that I I find helpful for a lot of the folks that I work with is um, learning how to also distinguish between a strength and a competency. So Mm. I think like a lot of times um, we confuse the two and we use them interchangeably. Whereas where we think like, oh, someone told me I'm good at this, therefore Mm -hmm. that's a strength. But a true strength, if you're truly operating your strengths, it is joyful. You Mm. like doing it. It is Mm -hmm. life-giving. And Mm -hmm. it's like the kind of experience where you do it and you may have worked really hard and poured yourself out, but at the end of it, you feel like, ooh, I want to do that again. I feel energized. I feel alive. Yes. That's something that another person can't quite tell you. You know, that's not something that comes through external feedback. Not saying that's not important. Like it's important, I think, to get, to, to take that information. Like, oh, someone said I, I did a good job with this. That can be good. But I think we're just not precise enough in how we describe mm-hmm. those things. And a lot of times things that we do well, we call mm-hmm. those strengths, but we mm-hmm. may actually hate doing them. Mm-hmm. And they, we find them really draining. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call that a strength. I think that's a competency. And, um, it can, those have their place there. It's not like that's bad, you know, but, um, but I think we need to be careful. And I think a huge leadership principle of mine is learning how to identify what's truly a strength. What's truly you operating in that place of excellence and enjoyment, because Mm. when you, um, try to center your leadership on that, that's, Mm -hmm. I think the most that's like a place of thriving and that's the most mm. life-giving. And again, that's usually closer to your authentic self. Right. So, I mean, I guess it's not realistic to think 100% of your life can be that, you know, like we right. can't, you know, fully get away from some of those things that are just part of being an adult mm-hmm. that we need to do. And no job is going to be completely just, we get to make it up according mm-hmm. to what we love. But I do think there's a lot of um, value in trying to figure out how to orient more of your life around those places of particularly when you have the flexibility to um, design a role that way or to design your leadership and set it up for that. And I think it helps then to know what to say yes and no to because most of us have more opportunities to to do things and time to do it in. So we need to choose. And I think that's a huge part of learning how to sort those things out and decide what we say yes to and what we have to say no to. So I'm curious with the strength finders, um, is it, uh, uh, are our strengths kind of hardwired into us from birth or are those, are the strengths more developed because of our circumstances or environment? And how, how would you answer that in your understanding? I would say it's both. And so mm. I think there is um, sort of innate inborn, like innate things that we're born with talents mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you're being very nitpicky and official on the strengths finder, the tests you took that you got your results, those are telling your natural talents, mm-hmm. whether or not they're an actual strength and you're able to utilize it effectively, that is determined by how much you've actually invested in them, how practiced they are, oh. how much you've learned to develop it. So I would mm-hmm. say both. I think there's like an innate part of it and there's a part that really um, gets developed as you invest, as you learn about it. So 
So it's a little bit um, misleading because it's called Strengths Finder, but you know that's one of the first things they they teach you when you become a coach is like there's talent, which is natural, mm-hmm. but it's really through investment that it becomes a strength. Oh, that's a great, diff- like helpful way to understand that. So mm-hmm. really, really great. And you do coaching individually and then in groups and teams. Is that what you are about right these days? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I do work with some folks one-on-one mm-hmm. that want the support and the coaching. And um, I think it's, it's like, you can do the work of, of learning how to invest in your strengths, learning. A lot of times people don't even haven't grasped fully even what the strength means. So I have people mm-hmm. come to me and say like, I don't identify with this at all. And mm-hmm. as we get into it, they realize, oh, I misunderstood what this was saying. You know, oh, so there's a little bit of that. Okay. Sometimes okay. there's a little bit of like, oh, I feel bad because I don't really see this as that great of a strength. You know, mm-hmm. they haven't appreciated it. A mm-hmm. lot of times people take it for granted because they just think like, well, everyone does this. And I'm like, no, not everyone mm-hmm. does that. You know, that's mm-hmm. pretty amazing. And you need to learn to appreciate it. So I do work with folks one-on-one that want to understand their strengths and mm-hmm. learn how to do that investment development piece. I also love doing this stuff in the context of a group. So mm-hmm. I love doing workshops. I work with some teams. I'm trying to figure out what way I can do this in a more workshop kind of way. Cause I love the group interaction. Cause I think right. it cuts down on some of that. Like, Oh, doesn't everybody do this? Like when you're mm-hmm. working on it with other people, you quickly realize like, no, this is really yeah. different. And yeah. it, it then sort of builds in this natural place of realizing what's super unique about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I like the community aspect, like the relational mm-hmm. aspect of learning about this with other people. Cause I think that is really powerful. Just having mm-hmm. that other person journeying with you and yeah. interacting and offering perspective. I think that's why I love coaching versus just like, just go read the book on your own. Like there's value in that, but I sure. think having that place to interact with that in a, in a supportive way and an encouraging way is, is so valuable. That's so great. So I'm curious, what are your top five strengths? Oh yeah. Um, I have achiever. Mm-hmm. I have input, futuristic, mm-hmm. activator, and wait, I should know this. <laughs> Sorry, let me let me restart. Um, <laughs> sound person, um, strategic. That's what it was. Strategic input, futuristic achiever, and activator. Oh my goodness, we have quite a few that are the Do same. We? I am positivity, nice. communication, okay, futuristic, strategic activator. Okay, nice. So I love meetings. Like <laughs> I love meetings. I don't mind working lunches, but I kind of try to make it really fun. Like I, you know, like you want me on your team. Absolutely. You know, because I'll make it like lighter, but I'll get yes. it done too. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> I love it's like, it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Yes, actually, positivity is great on teams. That is a really, really great one. Definitely, I could see you doing that. That's just so great. But it is, it's been really fun to to realize how unique when you were talking about the the fact that we really, it's just as unique as our thumbprints, you know, to have Mm -hmm. people having the same combinations or even the same order is even more like just you know, in all of time, there probably won't be another person, you know, so that's just incredible. So absolutely. And it's also just, I think it's helpful to know that it doesn't say every single thing there is to know about mm-hmm. you. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing. It's telling you how you do your best work. Yeah. It may not tell you why. It may not tell you what your values are, your culture, your experiences, mm-hmm. you know, your mm-hmm. passions. Um, so there's so much more to you than just like what your strengths finders results are. But sure. it really is great, I think, at telling people how they do their best, most satisfying work and figure out then how do you do more of that. Mm, that's so good. Well, I really hope our listeners will take time and check out your website. And in, on Instagram, I've been following you and seeing some of the creative graphics that you've come up with in terms of how people can um, take these strengths and also become just increasingly developed in their spiritual life, in their work and um, relational life. So I just love it. I'm just so encouraged by that. So, Thank well, you. I would love to hear a couple other things about about the wonderful Tracy. Um, do you have a favorite Asian comfort food? <laughs> do I have one? Do you have Too many more than one? <laughs> <laughs> um, I knew you were going to ask me this. So I've been thinking about it. It was hard to narrow it down. But um, I think my ultimate favorite comfort food is turkey shifen. Yes. Turkey jook. So you yes. take the the... After Thanksgiving, you take the turkey bones and you cook them all day and you make this awesome broth and just throw in rice, salt, Mm -hmm. a little bit of celery, and then white pepper on top when it's done. It is the simplest but best thing ever. I I love it more than the actual like turkey Thanksgiving dinner, which I also really like a lot, but that is just the ultimate. Do you have a favorite rice that you use? Just white rice. Just white rice. Do you do jasmine or do you do just like a calrose? I do calrose. Yeah. 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 So (laughs) I got introduced to like calrose rice through my husband because growing up Chinese, we always had more of a long grain rice and we would have the, and then my parents kind of got into that like really fragrant, is it a Thai rice or something like that? Or um, it's just that really nice smelling rice but they were always more longer grain. And then Japanese has the shorter medium grain and it's a little stickier, you know, so that's really like the last almost 30 years. That's what I've been into because of being married to Darren. So it's like, Oh yeah, we're kind of, you know, the rice thing. It's, you know, there's, their. their, so I think our, our family favorite is the Nishiki um, rice. They're very tasty. So that one's good. I also like the, I think it's called Kuhuo rose one. It's like a pink. (gasps) Oh yeah, that I've seen really that one. Good That's for the really shifan. good. Yeah. Yes, yeah. For the shifan. Okay, I got to remember that. that to check that one out for that. Yeah, for sure. I like it trying is. to eat healthy, but one of my friends was like, "Yeah, I'm going to try to make the shifan with um, brown rice," and brown I was like, like Ooh, I don't, I'm not ready to do that." No, yeah. no, I don't do think so. I just, I can, as you're describing it, I'm picturing like having the little midnight snack with my dad, with the pickled cucumber, yes. and you know the the roasted pork, shredded pork, and, um, you know, all the different little bamboo shoots and tofus, yes. this and that. And just, it, there's just such fond memories with the shipen. So it's really, really good. I love it. Okay. Now, and the, and the, and the ladle, with the ladle with the, the, um, the, um, what's it made out of? Ceram- not ceramic, is it? Porcelain. Those, yeah. those, yeah, the spoons. Like I can hear it clinking against the, the bowl. <laughs> it's so, oh, that's yes. a fond memory. So but good. But I wonder, now I'm wondering if the turkey she found is like an Asian American thing. Like I, I need to go yeah. ask my mom. Like that would be a good thing because it is. I mean, I know a lot of Asians that do that post 
Thanksgiving because you don't want to waste, you know, this <laughs> yeah, perfectly right. great carcass. That's right. You know, so yeah, that would be interesting. Okay. Report back. Let us know. Yes. But um, yeah, we just, I love it. I love it. I remember when we first got married. Um, well, when we got married, we had some of our wedding gifts that were sent off ahead of us to where we our new apartment. And so we opened them once we got back from our honeymoon. And when we got, when we opened the rice cooker, it was like mm-hmm. a big deal. It was like there was much dancing and rejoicing to have our very <laughs> own rice cooker. So that's very, very good. So you are a mom. I am. And how old are your kids? I have a 12 year old who's almost 13. Wow. And an eight-year-old. So seventh grade and third grade, both boys. I'm mm. completely outnumbered. Yes. So when it was time for us to adopt a dog, I'm like, guys, it has to be a girl. Like <laughs> we have to adopt a female. I, I refuse. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So you at least have a little bit of backup there. So. That's right. So when you think about your sons, you know, growing up in this generation, in their generation, what are some of your hopes that you have for them growing up in the, as Asian American men? Um, what do you hope to kind of, I don't know, infuse in them of just um, how they would conduct themselves or even pass on the Asian part of your journey to them? Like, mm-hmm. you know, for them growing up in LA and in the home and all of that. Yeah, my boys, they haven't gotten the language thing. So mm-hmm. I speak Mandarin. My husband speaks Cantonese. So we don't ever speak to each other. Mm-hmm. in Chinese. And so therefore, yeah. Ju- and my ability to parent them was quickly, like it quickly outstripped my language abilities. Like I tried <laughs> with some of the Chinese and then I was like, I can't say what I need to say to you. So yes. they know a few <laughs> things, but so they definitely didn't get the language thing, but they have the food thing down. Mm-hmm. And I am so happy when I see them go to town on chicken feet and <laughs> like my youngest, his favorite food is probably pig ears. You know, like oh, that's like his ultimate, like he loves that. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, made pig ears, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm really happy that they have <laughs> become, you know, they're adventurous eaters and they, 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 they do the whole gamut. Um, yeah. the, the one, their limitation in that is they don't like any dessert with bean, like red bean. Oh, they think yeah. that is like, yeah, they don't get that at Should all. Should not combine. No, they don't. Yeah. So that's my, um, yeah, that's the sadness, but no, um, but, <laughs> so, but food, food wise, they are totally there. Um, I mean, I think like definitely I really believe that, um, you know, the movement to see women empowered and lift up women leaders, I think that's good for them as mm. boys and men. Like, I think that it's, that's not just for the good of, of the next generation of girls. Like, I really believe that's good for them too. Mm. Um, and that, and that is a, a, a worldview and a hope that I have for them is that they're, they're seeing you know, this rising um, empowerment of, of girls and women. And I think that's going to benefit them as well. Mm. And I just love that, um, you know, watching that happen. You know, there was an experience where my son, my older son had done something, um, I forget, at school or something like that. And, and I was like, hey, buddy, like, that was great. Like, you were really being a leader there, you know, mm. way to be a leader. And he, his comment to me was, like, oh, yeah, I guess so. He's like, I guess I got that from you, mama. Wow. Yeah, like his, his first inkling of like what a leader is was me. It made me tear oh, up. Oh, yeah, definitely. and I, was I just like, got goosebumps. That's mm-hmm. so cool. So the wow. fact that like I 
think about leadership and I teach mm-hmm. on leadership and I call myself a leader. Like mm-hmm. I noticed it in that moment, like it matters to him and his first picture of what a leader is was me that's what oh and so great and I love that I can't wait to see like how that will be different you know Mm. but also you know teaching him how to be thoughtful about that and you know I hope for both of them that they will um love who they are you know third generation Chinese Mm -hmm. American boys like that's a new thing and that's very different than my experience and my husband's experience growing up with immigrant parents. So, you know, Mm -hmm. we're trying to navigate that and figure that out. But I hope that they also come to value that and see that and Mm. yeah. That's so great. Whoever they're supposed to be. Yeah. Oh, how fortunate they are to be growing up with you as their mom. That's so great. Well, how can people find you, Tracy? I really enjoy Instagram. So I'm on Instagram usually, like you said, um, my handles at tracyg.me. And you can also find me, I have a website where I blog occasionally. So that mm-hmm. is tracyg.me as well. Someone took tracyg.com. If you go to tracyg.com, oh. there's some other person <clears throat> with my name. So I went a different, I just was like, okay, fine. Then we're, I'm going to yes. be tracyg.me. So that's yeah, tracyg.me. So we will definitely link all of those in the show notes. Probably that's probably one of the best benefits of marrying a Mabuni. Like if you ever <laughs> see a Mabuni, we're probably related and I'm the only Vivian Mabuni out there. So I have no problem like securing domain names for anything Vivian Mabuni. Like that's just, that's there's right. just no other. So <laughs> but yes, so we will definitely link those up and just look so forward to um, continuing to cheer you on, Tracy. I just love your heart to develop leaders and um, the work that you're doing and just appreciate you being able to share with our listeners today more about um, their own journey of not only our ethnic journeys, but even just who we are and who we are as leaders and how to steward um, our strengths and our talents and gifts. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to connect. Really fun. Thank you for joining us this week on Some Days Here. If you've liked what you've heard, please take a moment and subscribe to the show so that each new episode automatically downloads to your device every week. And thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends. We would love for you to rate and review the show so that others can find out about us. A special thank you to the brilliant team that makes Some Days Here possible. The Some Days Here logo is designed by Jocelyn Chung. The original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Productions. Show notes on the website are by Vicki Pham. The sound engineer is Aaron Kretzman. The director of design and website designer is Kenny Wong. And the executive producer is Chantel Reynolds. Have a great week. And we look forward to you joining us again for another episode of Someday is Here.